0: Welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast, brought to you by Vertical Helicast. This episode of The Real Rescue is being sponsored by Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze eastern.com. Coming up next on this episode of The Real Rescue, we're joined by a guy who has a boatload of stories. And all these stories come from his 33 years working with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. They are amazing. So please welcome our next guest, Mr. Bryce Stella. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is the real rescue podcast let's get cranking ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the real rescue today i've got a guy from california not anywhere in california this is the los angeles sheriff's department oh county sheriff's department right yeah
1: county sheriff's department
0: la county sheriff's
1: department his name, Bryce Stella. What's up, dude? Hey, Quinny, it's a, it's a real honor to be with you today. It really dude, is. I am so
0: excited to have you guys on, or you specifically on, because uh, I've seen some amazing videos, some pictures, some articles that, that were sent over and holy cow, I didn't even know you guys were doing this stuff. And I lived in California.
1: Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't even know we exist. Um, admittedly, a lot of people on my own department don't even know we exist. And this detail has been around since
0: 1966. Oh, my gosh. Now, some of the videos that you sent me were that of, I'm going to call it a 225 or the Super Super Puma. Specifically, what aircraft, what model of it
1: is? Uh, it's a AS-332 L1 Super Puma nice and that's, yeah. that's as technical as I can get if you want more than that you got to get one of my one of my pilots on
0: <laughs> all good and the short version it's a bus with a rotor head the thing is huge yeah, yeah. yeah. it's in, in comparison i guess you've got the S92 and the 189 and it's just big it's a big freaking helicopter
1: <laughs> it's it's it is but it's um it's a multi mission platform for us and um, we've been on those since 2012. Prior to that, um, the detail was using a Sikorsky the old H3, a Sea King, a seer nice. like the 1960s. Um, and but it's been it's been been good for us. Right now, we have we have two of them, and keep one in service.
0: Ah, oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, some of the videos you sent over, I was like, oh my gosh. As a matter of fact, as I'm scrolling through pictures, I'm just like. It's L.A. County, but you have a 225 Super Puma, like, or sorry, sorry, we'll just call it the Super Puma,
1: like, yeah, oh, my God, Puma. dude, That's fine. yeah,
0: crazy, so, yeah. anyway, yeah, blew my mind, blew my mind, so, well, I'll tell you what, Bryce, uh, something else about you, which is pretty cool, 33 years with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, well done, sir, and just retired?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, you can... I use a watch, not a calendar. It's been 14 days, so I'm, I'm just just getting my feet underneath me and trying to figure it out. And I apologize if I talk in the present tense as if I'm still doing the job, because um, it's literally only been two weeks. That's all good, man. Congratulations. That's that's Thank
0: fantastic.
1: You. Yeah, heck yeah.
0: someday I hope to be there. I will say yeah. you
1: know. <laughs> yeah. no, but, I've been very lucky.
0: Oh yeah. 33 years that's uh, that's amazing amazing um and in that 33 years 12 years with the rescue unit as a paramedic on air rescue five correct freaking awesome love it dude well i'll tell you what man if you don't mind give us a little background about you who you are how did you get into la county sheriff's department and then on top of that like hi there's a whole bunch of steps
1: that bring you up to ah. Uh, you know what we're gonna tell you. Later. Let's start with you. Okay, so uh, born and raised in Southern California. Um, from a pretty young age, I really just wanted to get into law enforcement. Uh, when I came out of college, I applied for the sheriff's department and I got hired in nineteen ninety. And my my arc at that time was pretty normal. You have to do a mandatory time in custody, and then you go out to patrol, and I work patrol, and once I was at patrol, um, you know, at that time in my late-ish 20s, uh, you know, all I wanted to do was get to SWAT. So LA County Sheriff's Department, they have a, a dedicated SWAT team. Um, I think it's about 50, 60 guys, and that just means that's that's all the team does. They don't have any, any other jobs, any collateral duties. Uh, you're either Operational, you know, doing missions, whatever those missions are, or your your training, um, and that's the Special Enforcement Detail, which is under the blanket of the Special Enforcement Bureau. So that's what we call the SWAT side, and they've been around since 1958. Um, they became a SWAT team kind of in the late 60s. The same time that LAPD was figuring out the necessity for SWAT, you know, based on what was going on at the time. Um, so I applied several times and finally got into SWAT um, January 23rd of 2002. So you asked me my wedding anniversary, I'll, I'll have to look it up. You asked me the day that I got to the Special Enforcement Bureau, I, I know the exact day. You know, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I, I did 10 years on the SWAT side. Um, a lot of exposure to helicopters started then. I had some experience with our, our smaller uh, A-star patrol birds doing different things when I was a patrol. Um, I was never assigned to Aero Bureau or nothing like that. Um, but literally my very first day um, at SWAT, and we're busy. We average about 200 activations a year. So that's pre-planned um, and other events. Um, we were having our morning workout. Uh, we got a call out. LAPD had a shooting out in San Fernando Valley area. Um, we went out there to assess assist. It was a huge area search. So we were attached to one of our canines. And then after a couple hours of this, there was a a bank robbery in Monterey Park, which if anyone knows anything about the LA Basin, nine ten o'clock in the morning, any stretch of travel is going to take potentially hours. So at that time, um, ESD, the Emergency Services Detail, which is the paramedic branch of the Special Enforcement Bureau, those guys showed up with the old Sikorsky H3 um my team got in the helicopter because we were going to be the handling team for the bank robbery and so my very first day of swat i'm sitting in the back of the h3 all my gear rolling to a legit bank robbery where this guy is armed has hostages it wasn't just some goofy guy with a note or something and i mean all i could think was this this is the greatest job in the world like this is this is unbelievable dude awesome Um, I wanna be very careful not to disparage any, any law enforcement officer who's on a part-time team because I think that's one of the hardest gigs. But, and obviously I've, I've been at SEB for 22 years um, and I'm you know very proud of, of what we've done, but the advantage the SWAT side has is we have so much work and we've had so much work historically, quite frankly, we've had the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes and slowly learn from those mistakes. And and I think that's something that, that's what makes us as good as we are. Um, And, you know, the ability to honestly debrief a situation afterwards and figure out what could have gone better, what you did wrong. But um, so long story short, I did that for 10 years. Um, You know, I was a long rifle, explosive breacher, um, entry team for the whole time. And I was a backup scout on one of the six teams. And that's when I applied to go over to ESD, the Emergency Services Detail, which is the paramedic branch under the Special Enforcement Bureau umbrella. Nice.
0: Um,
1: and our job, I mean, our, our primary job is tactical medics anytime the SWAT guys go out on a call. We always go with them, and having the requirement be that you are a, a prior SWAT guy, it's a very seamless transition once you come back from all your, you know, year of training to work with the team. Um, so anytime the SWAT team goes out, we go out with them as, as tactical paramedics. Um, if any of them get hurt, if the suspect gets hurt, you know, immediate immediate ALS care right on scene. Um, something we're very proud of uh, and then our day-to-day we spend most of our time in air rescue five um, our our rescue base we're we're seven days a week basically sun up to sundown. we don't we don't have the pilots to go um 24 7 365 um but our rescue base is in the middle of the san gabriel mountains which is the the mountain range above Los Angeles that you'll see in any skyline picture, you know, of, of LA. So um, up there we get, you know, probably 85% of our calls are trauma related. Um, probably 40% of those, depending on the time of year, are going to be motorcycles at very high speeds, vehicles over the side, fall victims, lost hikers. Um you know, you'll get the Uh, chest pain out in the middle of nowhere um, diabetic emergencies a lot of environmental emergencies so that's basically that's that's what we spend most of our time doing we're also um, divers uh, for the county Um, anytime there's a scuba related death it's our details job to investigate that death. 90 something percent of the time that means we're recovering uh, the body. Um, Ugh, damn, man! I'm and, sorry. Oh yeah, no, we've we've. I I associate all the like Catalina Island just off the coast of essentially Long Beach. Um, it's it's kind of unfortunate because I associate all the beautiful dive spots with different dive deaths that we we've, we've handled. You know, oh, this is where so and so was. Um, and that's kind of macabre, but that's just the reality of it. And then within that group of divers, which there's some on the SWAT side, and then all the ESD personnel are are divers, there's a group that's a deep dive cadre, and I'm part of that. There's five of us right now, and again, I'm talking present tense, I apologize, but as of Ah, 14 14 days ago, it's only 14 days ago. You're fine. (laughs) There you go, Um, come on, Bryce. So yeah, we we dive rebreathers on mixed gas, and it gives us the ability to do recoveries um, fairly deep. Deepest recovery we did, I think, was 190 feet. We we got a Cessna um, with the pilot. Part of the wreckage recovered that. And that was actually off the coast of Santa Barbara um, to help out Santa Barbara County. Wow. So, yeah that that's
0: and, deep that's real deep
1: yeah yeah no we've we've I mean training dives the deepest I've done is just just a frog here over 300 um, feet um Jeez. but it's just quite frankly it's just a lot of math <laughs> um <laughs> a lot of time on the unit it's you know it, it's uh it's funny so when I was on the SWAT side of course my mom and my wife would worry about me. And then when I went to the paramedic side, my, my mom was under the impression that, you know, I wasn't going through doors anymore, search warrants. So she thought I was safer. Uh, my <laughs> wife who was on the department at the time, was well aware that I wasn't. And, you know, I mean, realistically, the last 12 years of my career were probably the most um, dangerous. Um but I mean, make no mistake, I, I think we're good at what we do. I think we're really good at, at being as safe um, as we can be and, you know, making making good decisions. And that's a testament to, you know, the fact I'm still here in one piece. So oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. For, thank you for all that. Uh, I get a couple follow up questions. Sure. You mentioned uh, you jumped on the A-Star. How many aircrafts does LA County
1: have? Oh, geez. Yeah, you know, I should have looked this up before. I We probably have, I would guess, at least 12, if not more, A stars, and they probably field four at a time, countywide. Um, oh super Pumas. Yeah. We had three. We had a little incident last March. Uh, so we have two super Pumas, um, and they have a couple fixed wing um, platforms wow so,
0: i did not yeah. realize it was that big like i knew it was big but that's
1: big dang okay. yeah, well i mean the the county is like four thousand square feet with 10 million residents you know and i mean i've been out as far as san clemente island on a call which is san clemente even though it's essentially run by the navy and the feds it's still considered la county wow um, okay so yeah dang yeah you guys have a big aor that's yes
0: wow that's cool i like that yeah.
1: and, and then actually and i i need to say with the helicopter stuff we share the responsibility of la county fire um so any given day at least three of them are up with their usually their firehawks. so we cover the whole county we're it's a it's a strange relationship we have because we're actually dispatched by LA County Fire dispatch even though wow. we're law enforcement and it's just whichever air unit is closest to the patient is the the one that goes and and those guys they do a great job i mean over the years there's been you know a lot of friendly rivalry and some competition here and there but ultimately it's just whoever's closest to the patient and um and they're all good guys so it's a
0: firefighter cop thing, isn't it? I'm just gonna throw. That. Yeah, you never,
1: you never <laughs> really completely really away from that. And it was crazy when I was in paramedic school. I was, I was 43. I was surrounded primarily by LA County firemen in their in their mid 20s who were going through paramedic school, and I was, you know, I was the weird old guy in the class. Nice. Um, and then, you know, obviously through internship paramedic school, you're, you're you're working in a firehouse. So, you know, I've been a cop for 20-something years, and suddenly I find myself, you know, at Station 3s in the middle of East L.A., running calls. It was uh, it was a pretty incredible experience, actually. And those oh, guys were cool. great. They were great.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I like that a lot. Uh, next follow-up question. You talked about diving. So full-on yeah. certified diving to mega depth. But you mentioned pulling a... A, play, a Cessna out of the bottom, 200 feet from the bottom. Yeah, are you? Yeah, dropping floats to it and floating
1: it up? Is that? Yeah. We're so basically uh, that call. There was only three of us that went down to rig it. It was a, a Cessna that went down. And if you've ever seen a small plane that goes down at a speed in the water, um, at the risk of sounding macabre, your your victim it just becomes part of the wreckage. There's no. Oh going down and just you know recovering this poor pilot. So um, yeah, we, we go down, we, we videotape, we document the scene, because technically it, it could be a crime scene, um, and then come up with a plan. And this specific plan, because it was so deep, there was only three of us um, that were on the mixed gas that day. We went down, rigged the plane, and then you do a stage lift. So you, you put the straps all on the plane, and then you have the line that goes all the way up to the surface, and then you just start putting lift bags every you know twenty five, thirty feet and just lift it up bit by bit. So once the deep stuff is done, it's rigged, regular divers on open circuit can just slowly do a stage lift. And it's not the safest way to to do a recovery like that. Right. But, on. Um, yeah, we we've we've been we did another very um, it was in the news um there was a, a dive boat the conception that went down just off the coast of santa barbara right by santa cruz island and it was 30 i think 36 people uh passed away um oh, that's and they, terrible. they yeah they called us up for that because it ended up being um inverted underwater and the teams up there weren't comfortable with penetrating the wreck they just didn't have the training so, our group ended up going up there and getting, I think it was 13 of the victims. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was, it was unpleasant. But the one thing you learn about the recoveries is that, or one thing that I learned personally is it's very, very important to some of the family. It really gives them closure. And, you know, I didn't, that's something I didn't realize until I had had some exposure. To the families of some people that we had, you know, recovered at, at different times. So, I mean, it's um, it's important work. You're you're certainly not saving saving lives, um, but it's still important work, and it's it's ultimately part of you know an ongoing investigation usually, and that's also important.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. No, giving closure to the family. There's there's definitely a lot to be said about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. definitely.
0: I'm I'm on board with that. Very much so. And that's why one of the things about the Coast Guard with my world was we would search for days until yep. it was like there's no possibility of us either a finding him or you know, it's just gone to the sea. So,
1: yeah, yeah, we we worked a lot um, with sector L.A., um, with the Coast Guard. And I mean, they they now they don't even have a helicopter in L.A., I think. There's one up oh, north and one south in San Diego, San Diego, and I think Port Lanini um, or Point Magoo. I think it's Point um, Magoo. I think so. Point Magoo. It is. Somebody's so,
0: gonna have to let us know. Like, no, I, 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 I'm, I I'm sure
1: it is. Okay. but um, we work closely with them, and because with the dive deaths, anytime it was um, like a commercial dive boat, they're involved because it's a commercial dive boat, um, and they would they would uh lean heavily on us just because a lot of times they weren't divers and didn't have that experience so it just became part of our investigation that makes sense
0: man that's crazy all right next follow-up question you just explained that you have done a lot so started uh going through the academy and as a a, i'm going to call it a street or a patrol officer
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Just worked regular patrol. I was out of uh, Carson Station, which covered uh, the contract city of Carson, um, the county area of East Compton, um, some Wilmington. So, uh, good fun station to work. Nice. Good experience. Yeah.
0: And then on to SWAT. Yeah. And then it, while you're in SWAT, you do your paramedic stuff. So, you're doing that in SWAT and then you get on to rescue five.
1: So, well, no, really the, after the 10 years of SWAT, when I got selected to the, the air rescue five group or the emergency services detail, basically I was gone a year because I had my paramedic training. Um, there's a, a six week mountain school cause we have to do all our land-based rescue stuff. Cause and that's, that's another thing I would talk about. Um, you know obviously I'm very into helicopter rescue. I, I love that that darn helicopter. Um, but you know just because you're flying around in a hammer it doesn't make everything a nail. It's not it's <laughs> not the end all you know for every rescue. And sometimes you just have to look at a rescue and be like, ooh, like for whatever reason this helicopter is not the tool for this. And a lot of times that would become, you know, land-based. We would land and Build anchors and systems, and and do whatever. Got it.
0: Now, all right. So now, my my question is going to be: as you came up through all this, th- there are ways to do it throughout the department. Like you had to do certain steps in order to do it. So a guy like Correct. me couldn't just roll in and be like, "Yeah, oh, now I'm on Rescue Five. Let's roll."
1: Yeah. No. It 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 took me twenty two years, you know, to get onto Rescue Five to become a paramedic. Um, and I think we hit on earlier a conversation I had with you is we get we have kind of an exchange program uh, with the Air Force with the pararescue guys the PJs um, yeah. we have an MOS with them and they'll they'll come down and, and they work under our scope a lot of times before deployments they would come down and ride with us to you know get their hands on some patients and just I mean great guys motivated skilled um, compassionate medics. Their rope work is just out of this world. And I mean, it was, it was such an advantage for us. We would learn so much from them and, and, you know, they love coming down just the chance to, to be on the helicopter and get patients. But the, you know, the kick in the jimmies for them was very often the guys would be like, man, your, your job is you know so parallel to what I do. Um, you know, with the, the paramedicine and the helicopter and the diving. And it's like, this would be a great gig for me, you know, when this Air Force thing is done. And and it was always, I mean, you could just see the look on their face when you just had to be realistic with them and go, yeah, that it would be. And I mean, you could probably just parallel right over and do this job right now. But unfortunately, there's this whole thing of working the jails and working patrol and yeah. – and having having to be a cop in law enforcement before you can even get near this job. So yeah, it takes it takes a long time. And then I mean also now not a lot of people waiting in line to become, you know, law enforcement officers. That's right. just that's right. just the reality of the way things are now. I think it's it's been like that before and I think the pendulum swings. Um and you know, I mean I'll, I'll defend law enforcement it's uh, my dying day because, I mean, all all I've done is is help people in one way or another, starting in 1990 um, in, in different ways, whether there's a, a part of the population that wants to recognize that or not. And that's fine. That's their right. But I've had the opportunity to help a lot of people. I'm I'm proud of that, you know, oh, I, I'm on board. I, man, I love back the boys in
0: blue.
1: I yeah, love you yeah. guys,
0: man. I really do. I love all my, my first responders. Firefighter's like, I'm on your team all day long. (laughs) Right on. Good on you, Bryce. Dude, I dig it. I like it a lot. All right, dude, let's change gears a little bit. So after you got through your paramedic, do you
1: remember your very first rescue? So I was thinking about this. I, I don't remember my first rescue. What I do remember vividly is my first call or rescue. As the the primary medic on Air Five. So when you get when you finish all your paramedic training, you come out a full-fledged paramedic, you've been working, you know, in the streets um, for a minimum of, and it's a national standard, a minimum of 20 to 30, you know, 24-hour shifts. Um, and you come out and then you get on the helicopter and you're there with two senior medics, and you're kind of a third wheel um, until you sort of get your feet under you, you figure out how. How things work. Um, how mountain medicine might be a little different. You know, you don't have your three EMT firefighters to do this and do that for you while you're, you know, managing your scene. So, no, I my very first call that I remember as a primary medic um, was a, a vehicle over the side off a road called the Angeles Forest Highway, which is a a main artery that runs through the mountains that people commute every morning. And um, we get up top. We see a vehicle probably 300 feet over the side. And then we see one patient about 100 feet over the side. So uh, I get lowered down uh, by my crew chief, one of my favorite crew chiefs and very close friend guy named Mike Wilbert. Um, And he was at the time, I was brand new to ESD. He had been there. And he was actually just signed off as a crew chief. So this is one of his first days as crew chief. I get down, and the first thing I do is we were concerned about how many victims we had. Um, the woman's talking; she's laying there. Uh, she looked like she wasn't in horrible shape, except her right arm—her her hand was missing, and her her arm was basically sleeved from the elbow down. Oh God! And oh, um, ouch. Yeah, and I'm, I'm talking to her. The first thing I found out is if she was alone, and she said, yes, I'm alone, you know, and she was saying, I'm not sure what happened, and I could just see her, you know, she was just not looking good. You just know, you know, um, so I remember getting on the radio because they had flown over. They were going to send someone else down to check out the car to see if there were any other victims, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable that we just have one victim, send joe he was my other partner down we need to get her to the hospital now um joe came down we got her packaged up and in a bowman bag and um we get her in the helicopter and she goes unresponsive at this point we're probably eight minutes to the trauma center um she goes unresponsive still has still has a heartbeat stops breathing uh joe's at her head joe actually intubates her starts breathing for her um we were going to huntington memorial hospital and I, I mean i can vividly picture this call and um she ends up going to full rest like as we're landing um on the pad so when the doors open it was a hot offload we, were, we had just started cpr and we had made base contact, so they knew we had you know serious patient coming so luckily they were right there um, CPR all the way down and she went straight into the, the OR um, and that was it. we, we left um, go back up to our rescue base. Uh, we call our, our nurse educator who was one of one of the the nurses in the ER um, a gal by the name of Lynn Riley. She's been the Air 5 nurse educator for 20-something years, and I have to mention her name because she's an absolute rock star. Nice. Um, and she told us that the, the woman died. And oh. she had a lacerated heart. Um, so oh, jeez. It, it was basically, I mean, had that injury happened in the operating room, she probably wouldn't have had a chance. So, um, yeah, just... Uh, you know, I, I and I had had patients die during you know internship, and and I'd seen a lot of death uh, through my you know career with the SWAT stuff. Um, but total, still a complete bummer because you know this is a woman who I was talking to, and then you know essentially ten minutes later she's she's gone. So later that day, and this is actually. Two part, two part story, and this is the, I would say this is the better part of the story. A uh, call comes out, a uh, cliffhanger in an area called Eaton Canyon, which is on the Front Range. So it kind of opens up to Pasadena, very popular hiking trail. And there was this huge rock face called Acrophobia Ridge where people weren't supposed to hike it. And there was like an illegal trail that went to the top of the waterfall. And people would sometimes take a wrong turn and end up on this basically a granite rock face um and and in the helicopter business you know we would get a lot of cliffhanger calls and a cliffhanger can be someone standing on top of a mountain who's perfectly fine um or it can be you know a legit cliffhanger and this i looked and this was a a young kid legit cliffhanger and i remember looking over at mike wilbur and i was thinking Wow, I think this is his first cliffhanger as a crew chief, and this is certainly my first cliffhanger <laughs> as a primary medic. And um, it's a very high hoist, um, just because, I mean, the guy was literally hanging on the cliff. And I went down, um, got the horse collar rescue strap around him, hooked it up, got him spun around right as Mike pulled us off the wall, um, got the guy up in the helicopter. And, um, it, it was a, it was a pretty remarkable feeling and it was, you know, the duality between, you know, the first call of the day and that was, you know, more towards the end of the day. Um, and beyond that, I mean, I was just, I was hooked. It was, it was such a, I've always told people the, the rescue stuff is selfishly, it's, it's so fulfilling um, to me personally. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, almost not right. And it's, it's not ego. It's not, it's just, it's just the one of the best feelings I've ever felt to help someone who either thinks they're going to die or they might die if you're not there. Um, I, yeah, I was, I was hooked. That was a remarkable call. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the, that's kind of the yin and yang of it, you know?
0: Right. that is like, how You got hit with every emotion possible on day one. <laughs> Holy cow, man. I am sorry that that lady died Anya. That, you know,
1: oh, I, it, looking
0: it, back it, at it. I don't think. Yeah. It's, it's, um,
1: it's, it's part of it's, it's part of the job um, yep and uh, initially when I was first started the paramedic stuff I there's another call that that I want to talk about later but and, and and I think we will but I was in the hospital visiting this patient and this man that, that was this, this kid's boss who we we saved and it was a good save um, I remember him coming up to me and he's like you must feel so good you know you must feel so good because you saved his kid's name was Mark you know you saved Mark and actually at that time I remember telling him I'm like you know sir yeah it's it's great but you know if I celebrate this too much when it doesn't go well it just you know destroys me and I think yeah. as I matured and and had more patience over the You know 11 plus years that i got to do the paramedicine i i allowed myself to you know celebrate the good ones a little more and and try not to let the the bad ones get to me um but you know sometimes sometimes they just they just do Um, they just do yeah there there was uh another call um and um, my paramedic partner on this one was a gal named Jen Shepherd, total rock star. She was at ESD for two years before I was there, complete CrossFit stud, just an amazing, compassionate medic. Um, and this day she was a primary medic. And we got a call of a possible childbirth in this area called Chantry Flats. Um, <clears throat> again, very, this is LA, so it's it's a very popular hiking spot. It's, you know, 33 minutes from the closest Starbucks, so it's going to be crawling with people. And um, there's all these elm trees where after a few years of drought, we can't do uh, low hoists because we'll just break branches and potentially hurt people. So it's it's a very high hoist. We drop Jen down in. We find out where this woman is. She was hiking with a group of people. And um, usually the way it works is a primary medic would go down with whatever information we were initially armed with. And based on that, you might take some equipment, you know, whether it's the heart monitor, your trauma pack, kind of decide what you would take. And then a lot of times you'd get on the radio and you would ask for that second medic to bring whatever you're going to need after you actually get to the patient, find out what's, what's really going on. And um, I want to be very clear. I, I, after I talked to you, I I called Jen and the first time I talked about this call with her, was about three weeks ago when i when i told her i was going to do this and i'm like hey this might come up is this you know something i can share because there's 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 some aspects of the story which are um amazing and and so i i have her blessing just so you know that nice uh, thank you so yeah yeah thanks jen so um and she gets on the radio crew chief Another good buddy of mine, Joe Palomino, and she just says, send Bryce down now. And I look at Joe and I'm like, Joe, what does she need? And Joe gets on the radio and she's like, you know, Jen, what do you need? And she goes, send Bryce down now. So I go down. Um, there's a group of like six women, and there's hikers up the trail, there's hik- hikers down the trail, you know, looky to see the helicopter and they want to get close. Um And basically it was, it was really tragic. This, this young girl, uh, first pregnancy, 20 weeks in, um, Jen kind of pulls me aside and basically there's a, a little bulge in this woman's yoga pants and, um, she had lost, lost the baby basically. And it was, so I, uh, I remember we, we, Basically, cut the pants, and I have this, you know, twenty-week-old fetus in my hands, and I mean, it was it's a fully developed uh, kid, and I'm I'm not, I'm not making any kind of a, a statement. I'm just telling you, I was holding, and and I mean, dead, unviable, cold. Uh, so we we took care of the umbilical cord. And I had a towel, and I, I wrapped the kid in the towel. And I hear Jen talking to the the girl, and basically telling her that she had had a similar situation, loss of pregnancy, and was sharing this with the patient. And um, and I remember thinking that moment, like, you know, holy shit, there there's no one else down here that I work with that could be doing what Jen is doing right now for that patient. So uh she was still bleeding heavily, so we we got her in the the screamer suit, for the the rescue harness. Um Jen went up with her and before Jen went up with her and like I had never Quinny, I'd never been like emotional on a call. I had never cried. I had never and I'm 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 holding this little kid and i i went up to this girl and i'm just like i i know you know my partner told you what's going on i know you know you lost your baby and i'm i just want you to know that i'm going to be bringing her up to the helicopter after jen takes you up and like my my voice is cracking and like i mean that had that had never happened to me um get up in the helicopter and, and i and then i mean, horrifically. I had no way to, to carry this little baby, so I ended up putting the baby in the bag that the rescue harness is in and attach that to my harness, um, get up in the helicopter, and Jen is already up there, just total rock star medic, dealing with this woman, um, en route to the hospital, gets her deliverable placenta. You know, I'm basically just barking orders at me, and, you know, I put it in a bag. Um, we get down to the trauma center, and and Jen just, I mean, gives just the perfect report. Uh, we have everything the doctor wants. You know, she gives the woman a little squeeze on the shoulder. She goes out in the hallway, and and I gathered up our gear, and I go out in the hallway. And I remember looking at Jen, and it's a, it was the summer, so... You know, you're covered in sweat and dirt from the helicopter. And I'm just looking at her face. I was like, you can't tell where, you know, the tears started and the sweat stopped. And I remember looking at her and I'm just like, are you okay? And she just shook her head no. And I'm like, me either. And gave her a hug. And we got up in the elevator, went to the helicopter and um, went about our shift never talked about that call again until three weeks ago you know so um yeah that was uh it wasn't a fun one wow, Bryce. wow but yeah I was so impressed with her and yeah it was it was really unbelievable I mean I got to see something special uh, and something horrific. Um, but, you know, I mean, she was the right person and she was, it was just a gift to that patient that, that Jen was working that day, you know, and a gift to me too. I, I, it was, uh, yeah. So, uh, I feel like you might need a fun story.
0: Damn, man. I, Bryce, that, that's incredible. You and Jen, well done. Well done. Um, I'm, i I almost want to say I'm sorry you have not talked about it until now, and at the same time,
1: I'm so grateful that you just told me. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just part of the job. That that's the reality yeah. of it. But you know, I mean, we're not we're not robots, and um, I'll be the first to admit our our shop we're not really good on the debrief mental health side of things. I think as we come from a law enforcement background. Uh, we are getting a little better at it, um, but yeah. But um, if I may, uh, to just to cheer things up a little bit,
0: we're going to divert real quick to thank our sponsors, Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and
1: winch provider. Uh, Go! I sure. sure that we the pjs will come out and ride with us and um i I can't remember the guy's name he was a little older he was probably 32 33 but for those guys he was you know a little older more of a senior guy um and it was his first day riding with us ironically i was with jen Um, i was a primary medic and i was telling him the So the San Gabriel Mountains, it's the Angeles Crest National, San Angeles National Forest. And we just kind of, it's just called Angeles Crest. And I was telling him, you know, things are weird up here. Like, we never know. We never know what we're going to get. Amen. Um, There's murders, there's suicides, there's, you know, it's a short drive from L.A., so all kinds of weird stuff happens, you know, in the front range. And, um... And I basically gave him the speech of like, hey, we could get a bunch of calls, we could get no calls, but weird stuff happens. And um, the crew chief. So the, the way the helicopter is configured, we have pilot, copilot, you know, SIC, PIC, um, crew chief, who's also a paramedic, and then two paramedics. So technically, we have three paramedics in the back of the bird, um, which awesome. is real luxury. If we get a couple of critical patients, it's, it's really nice um and the crew chief his job basically during the day at our rescue base is he'll sit there and he'll just his little station is set up and he's listening to his radios and scanning uh probably eight nine different channels um from highway patrol uh the forest service all the fire channels and because a lot of times we'll hear things from the Forest Service that will take time to get to the LA Fire Dispatch. So a lot of times fire the Forest Service will put something out and we'll call dispatch and go, hey, we heard this on ForestNet, we're going to roll because it's in our, our area of responsibility. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And a call came out, it was basically woman screaming for help, um, somewhere on the Mount, Mount Baden-Powell Trail. Mount Baden-Powell, I think it's our, our second highest mountain. It's a little over 9,000 feet. Um, and it wasn't much information. And I think, the, I can't remember exactly, but the crew chief might have been saying, hey, let's go check this out. And then it came, it, there was an updated call from LA. They got a call of a possible jumper. And it was just a weird call. So we we have the PJ with us. We head out to Mount Baden Powell. We're checking the trail. Um, Real high hoist because there's, you know, giant, you know, 100, 200 foot pine trees in that area. So it's a real high hoist. You see a group of people, and I get lowered down, and there are four college students, young kids, and all kind of little spindly guys. Holding down one of their friends, who's screaming, Chinese student, and I'm looking at them and I'm like, "What's going on?" And they're just, you know, problems having our, our friends having problems, and I look at them, and you know, helicopter, big sheriff on the bottom of it, my rescue harness, I have my Beretta, so I mean, I'm I'm people usually sometimes figure out that technically i'm a cop and they're just like sir he took a bunch of mushrooms and he's been trying to jump off this cliff and it's not really a cliff where they are it's like a switchback trail but they've been holding him down based on when we heard the you know woman screaming call um for probably an hour until one of them went down and got cell phone service to to call it in so i'm just like okay Uh, and i pull out my handcuffs and i go do we want these and they're like oh yes sir so we we get this guy handcuffed and now i have to get him up to the helicopter and i mean i there there is this this is a minefield because i i will tell you what he said i will not try to do it in the voice that he did it in very (laughs) thick chinese accent you can just do the math Okay. um i mean there's a character anyone my age there's a movie called 16 candles and there was an exchange student in that movie Uh huh. character's name but like that could have been this kid i'll just i'll just say that i like it <laughs> he's 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 fighting us and laughing and i mean just out of it and we get him in the screamer suit or rescue harness I have one of the guys help me and get to an area where we have an opening where they can, where the hoist can get down to me. And at this point I have him up against the bank. There's a drop off behind us. He's still struggling. And I'm, I'm really getting annoyed at this kid at this point. Hook comes down, get us hooked up and we start going up. And he kept on saying, take me to civilization, take me to civilization. And what that meant, I have no idea. And he's, he's, we're just in a slow spin. I remember him looking up, and he's looking at the helicopter, and he's just beaked out of his mind. And all of a sudden, he looks at me, and you know we're face to face the way that rescue harness is configured, yep. and he just gives out this scream, just complete scream. And I look back at him, and I just screamed right back at him. <laughs> and we get up in the helicopter, and get the door shut. We keep him restrained, and we're transporting him, get him to the hospital, offload him, and uh, and this PJ is just shaking his head, and I told him like, I I told you, man, like you you never know what you're gonna what you're gonna get up here, you know, it's just just the way it goes. So,
0: oh my gosh, Bryce, that's freaking hilarious.
1: <laughs> A little funnier on that one, I think.
0: Dude, nice. Nice transition. That was really good, yeah. I appreciate that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: hey,
0: uh, so you've mentioned it twice, the screamer suit, just for yeah. everybody out there. Uh, Cause then you turn around and say, oh, the rescue harness. A screamer suit is one of the, the kits that we use and it's like a, a jacket. It goes like you put your arms through, comes yep. up between the legs, three big rings, yep. you connect to the yep. three rings and then boom, you're sitting there like a lazy boy. Yep. I absolutely love this piece of equipment. There are a couple uh, different companies that make it. CMC make the hot seat. ARS makes the uh, whatever it's called. And then somebody else makes another one. But anyway, the screamer suit. It's a jacket. It
1: comes up between the yeah, it's Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic mm. tool. Um, and I mean, we'll use it. The only time that I, you know, I talked about the horse collar rescue straw. The only time we use that is if. You know, we can't unhook if we absolutely have to just snatch someone because the patient's not secure. You know, um, yeah. the yeah. the screamer suit. Fantastic tool, because once once they're in that, they're not they're not going to yeah. go anywhere. Um, yeah, those things are money. Absolutely love them. Relatively comfortable for the patient. Yep. Um, yeah. I don't no, care I would... which one you buy either. Don't care. Yep. Yeah, pick, pick a company, go get it.
0: I, I, the, yeah, the idea behind it, I, there's another one called like a rescue triangle, which doesn't actually come over the shoulders. It's just around the waist and stuff, but similar design. It's just, yeah. Amazing piece of kit, whatever, yeah. whatever one you go with. So figured I'd yeah, clarify you, that for everybody. So when you say screamer suit, we're like, oh yeah, I got you. <laughs> so it's good stuff. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna change again because so one it, of the things that I have here, is an article that was written. And it's pretty cool because you were actually interviewed for this article and you talk about a memorable rescue in the article. So I'm hoping that we get a chance to hear this. But before we get into that, let me get into the actual article because this is pretty cool. So Los Angeles Daily News. This is actually dated September 13, 2023. So not that long ago. The, uh, the headline, they really save lives. The drama, risk, and rewards of helicopters to be showcased. Later on, or actually it just starts with you. Bryce Stella, a deputy sheriff and paramedic with the Los Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department Air Rescue 5 team, has been jumping out of helicopters for 10 years, saving this person or that one. Down motorcycles, cars over the side of cliffs, fallen hikers, heart attacks, diabetic emergencies. People in the mountains expecting a good day sometimes have a little bad luck, he said. He's got a less stressful operation coming up, an appearance at the American Hero Air Show in Hanson Dam Recreation Sports Complex in Lakeview Terrace on Sunday, November 13th. His earliest memorable save was in the Angeles National Forest where the unit is based. A young man from New Zealand crashed his motorcycle on the Angeles Forest Highway. When Stella and his team arrived on scene, one of the man's legs was completely severed and the other barely attached. Within 14 minutes of hearing the call, the air rescue team had him to the hospital. Ten years later, he was back in his home country working as an arborist and driving a little sports car with a clutch. Quote, He gets around like nobody's business, said Stella. Air Rescue Unit includes a pilot, a co-pilot, and three paramedics. Quote, the beauty of the helicopter is what saves patients. It's not the paramedics in the back. It's not the pilots. It's that helicopter because we are able to get critical patients, I jokingly say, to the smart people, but to the trauma surgeons, to the cardiac surgeons, to the cath lab, or the stroke center. It's the speed of the helicopter and the ability of the helicopter to land or hoist patients that really save lives Bryce that's awesome uh so a uh, kid falls on a motorcycle and you guys show up holy cow
1: yeah so this this uh this was actually a this was a a great call um at the time we had a a newer medic a guy with us who was the at that stage of his training, where he was the third wheel, so we had, you know, three medics and the crew chief. And at that time, this was fairly early. We still we had some crew chiefs that were only EMTs. That that changed probably a year after that, um, and that's part of this story, because I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this crew chief under the bus um, after I gave him a little praise, but just okay, just okay. to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're, we're up at Barley Flats, uh, we hear there's a motorcycle down call, and the the crew chief who was, was very familiar with the mountains just heard the call, and it was, it was basically, it was a walk-in. So what happened is someone sees this accident, there's no cell service, they drive to a ranger station, they go in the ranger station, and that ranger station puts it out on the radio. So there's already been a delay on this call. And I, I hit on this before, as opposed to waiting for that to get to dispatch, sent to an engine, have that engine's captain request an air squad. We will just call LA, that's the LA County Fire Dispatch is called LA. And we'll tell them, hey, we have a motorcycle down here. We're gonna roll. Um, worst case scenario, we, we're not needed. We turn back, no big yep. deal. So cool. I really all... like
0: the fact you guys can
1: do that, by the way. That's a that's a very unique and, and a bit of a it, bonus. It it really is. And I think it's it's a little bit based on our law enforcement background. Um and I think and, and I'm I'm not not disparaging firefighters at all, but I think we're just brought up in an environment where we're a lot more proactive. Um And in the fire service, a lot of times you're waiting for that alarm to come to you. You're not, you know, patrolling. Realistically, you can't. But anyhow, um, so and the way it usually goes is we'll go up, helicopter will start up, and there's usually kind of a blackout period of the radios while the bird is spinning up. And the crew chief will usually stay at the radio and then at the last minute come, you know, running up the stairs and jump in the helicopter with any pertinent info. And and this was awesome, because this particular crew chief I'm about to throw under the bus um, jumps in the helicopter, plugs into the ICS, and he says, uh, we have a bilateral decapitation. <laughs> and <we're just> like, <laughs> and oh then he's God. like, uh, yeah, uh, both his legs. And I'm like, OK, all right, so. <laughs> So we know, all kidding aside, we know that we're rolling to a very serious call. You know, we get our IV set up. Uh, we get overhead. We land right next to the patient. The four service guys are with him. This kid, uh, one leg, completely severed below the knee, one leg just hanging out with some tissue. Massive pool of blood underneath him. He's not really responsive. He's tracking a little bit with his eyes, um, and he's doing that—you know—those really short, scary, gasping breaths. Um, I have a tourniquet with me. I grab another tourniquet. I throw it to my partner. The third partner jumps on his airway. Um, he wouldn't—he wouldn't tolerate an OPA, so we just bagged him. Um, and we got the tourniquets on the legs, got him packaged up, put him in the helicopter. And, and one, of the, one of the things I like about our program is uh, our, our, the crew is, is very much a team and the pilots are, are very in tune to what's going on as far as the call. Like They didn't need any information to know that this was a very, very serious call. Um, so we take off. we're gonna be going to Huntington Memorial Hospital, um in route, couple large four IVs um, get some fluids because you know all we have is normal saline. and he and that actually pinked this kid up a little bit. we We get him into the the trauma center and and they gave him like four units of blood out the gate. And I mean, it was remarkable. He had basically a normal blood pressure. Um, his skins looked great. I mean, he had, he had everything going for him. He was a 21 year old kid. He was young, obviously a fighter. Um, but, and a hundred percent, now that I threw the crew chief under the bus, I will say unequivocally <laughs> him, him making the decision for us to self-dispatch on that call hundred percent saved that kid's life. And because when we when we looked at the whole timeline, it was 14 minutes from the time that we heard that call to the time that we we had him at the hospital. And I mean, what he needed was a shit ton of blood, which, you know, we can't we can't give him. Um, So and I'll tell you, right. I mean, this kid was all over social media, so I'm not violating HIPAA anything. But this kid, his name was Mark Somerville. Um, Great kid. He was out for the summer from New Zealand uh, working as a arborist um and he had I, I i would be lying if i told you how many surgeries he had at the hospital but he was he kind of became a little pet project of us and me because he was he was at the hospital and we would drop off a patient and pop in and you know see how he was doing um met his family his folks flew out from new zealand not knowing if he was even had he even survived during their flight um, and. Uh, Got to know this this kid and his family pretty well. Uh, when he finally went back to New Zealand, I was with a small group of people. We were able to send him off. We took him in an ambulance to the to the airport uh, where he went and I mean, he did you know years of rehab because he really wanted to save the one leg that was mangled. Um, and he he did and he's he's doing pretty well. And um, one of my <laughs> favorite stories about this kid, is we had again weird calls on the crest. We had a guy that tried to kill himself by stabbing himself in the chest multiple times. Um, we got him to the hospital and um, dropped him off downstairs and then went upstairs just to pop in and, and say hi to this Mark kid. And he had probably been there at this point three weeks or so. So he's sitting on that on his hospital bed with his stump. And, and, you know, he's a 21-year-old kid. He wants to know, you know, what kind of call we had. And, you know, the gorier, the better. And we told him, yeah, I some guy tried to kill himself, tried to stab himself. And I'll never forget this kid. He had a, he had like a four by four of gauze. He's, he's sopping up like some pus on his stump. And he's like, why in his New Zealand accent, which I'm not going to embarrass myself and try to do. But he's just <laughs> like, why, why would anyone do that? Life is wonderful. And, I mean, at that moment, I'm just thinking, wow, like, okay, like, this kid, this kid's going to be okay. Um, and ultimately, he, he was. I mean, he went through, you know, tremendous, you know, physical and emotional trauma. But, uh, like I said in that article, he's uh, back home, he's working as arborist, he's driving a sports car with a clutch, uh, which was a big <laughs> deal to him. And... And like I inferred in that article, it was that it was that helicopter that, that saved him. The ability to get that patient in the middle of nowhere to the smart people, to the trauma surgeons, to those people—that's that's the beauty of the helicopter, you know. And we, we can do what whatever interventions we're going to do, we're going to do the best to our ability. But it's it's the it's the time that's that's the beauty of the helicopter to to me, you know. So.
0: Dude, that is sick. That is yeah. so awesome. I, I I'm impressed. Like 14 minutes.
1: Yeah. No, it was it was it was remarkable. And like I said, I, I love that story because I mean bilateral decapitation is hilarious. <laughs> um, but every time oh, so I tell funny. that story, I I have to give give that specific crew chief you know credit for that that decision. Is it 100 percent could have saved his life? And just for clarity, for anybody
0: that's not in medicine, and dual decapitation is you lose both your heads. I'm yeah, just yeah, you it, that on that too. No. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> oh, but that is pretty funny.
1: It is. No, it is. It is. But oh, um, man. <laughs> yeah. You no, know I mean, what? If
0: we have it all messed up at one point or another, then nothing would oh. ever be funny. I'm just saying.
1: Every every day for me. I mean. It, Make no mistake. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, that the helicopter is uh, such an amazing tool. Um, I hit on before that we're basically sun up to sundown. <clears throat> we're still NVG trained. Um, we're maritime trained. We we do have calls where we have to snatch people off of boats. Um, so that's a skill that we keep up. Um,
0: you guys are hoisted off vessels and, as
1: well? Yeah. Dang oh yeah. legit
0: gosh and you guys
1: do a little bit of everything i like it we, we really do and i mean almost almost too much the the biggest challenge for me the last 12 years was just maintaining a level of readiness in in all the disciplines that we do um and the the only time we go 24 7 is when there's when we have big local fires All the the L.A. County Firebirds that I told you about that we work in conjunction with, those guys drop water. We don't. So we basically cover the whole county and go on a go on a 24 hour shift. Um, And then a a big difference between us and them is that, you know, we'll do law enforcement missions. Um, We'll transport the SWAT team for a hostage rescue. We will uh, just this just this past year um you know we're up at barley flats and the tv's on and police chase pops up on the news and like anyone else we're watching the police chase long story short guy runs into Oh wait don't
0: do that to me don't do that to me like i like long story lawn
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay i I can do that too come on man Uh, you got you got me (laughs) engrossed guy runs into an apartment and he's out in an area called the antelope valley which is still L.A. County, but it's our kind of northeast end. And this is basically work traffic time. So we need to get a SWAT team out there because there was someone in the apartment who's now considered a hostage. And what we did was we flew out there in the helicopter, dropped myself and my partner off. The crew chief went to go get the team on the other side of the mountain in East L.A. where the SWAT headquarters is. And those guys were getting together. And in the interim, um, I was with my partner and a canine guy and a patrol guy. And we are essentially the the de facto crisis entry team on this hostage problem, which is the beauty of the 10 years of SWAT experience. Um, You know, it's just another hat that we wear, and day to day, you don't know. I mean, usually, on search warrants, we're just following the team. I'm my concerns are if someone gets hit, how am I gonna get them out of the house? You know, do I need to move this? Do I need to move that? Um, but like in this situation, I'm I'm back to the SWAT guy stuff. And it's a helicopter that gets us there immediately. It's the helicopter that, you know, 20 minutes later brings the whole team to handle that initial problem. Um, you know, we, we rely on, on the helicopter with the deep diving stuff. They're, they're always on standby, um, close by in case in case something happens and we need to go to the, the hyperbaric chamber or something like that. It's just, it's a, it's an amazing tool. And, I mean, I have been so, so blessed to be able to, you know, work in it, around it for the last 22 years, but, you know, in it for the last uh, 12 um yeah pretty pretty lucky
0: dude that is sick Bryce. that is awesome out of curiosity do you guys uh fast rope and rappel as well
1: (laughs) oh did i hit a nerve here Uh i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna make some (laughs) man so (laughs)
0: oh
1: shoot i'm sorry i'm
0: sorry okay i'm sorry i had no this
1: is this is queenie this is really funny because uh so I went through SWAT school in 2002, and like I said, we were still on the the old H3 platform, which was an awesome, beautiful helicopter. And like in my mind, that was the first you know Air Five that I really, really saw, got to work around, um, and in sometimes when I was on the SWAT side. But in SWAT school, it was it, this was a different time. This was 2002, so. Um, there might be some different protocols than there would be me like when I'm working crew chief now or, you know, was up to two weeks ago. Um, basically, SWAT school was uh, all these guys and you're like, hey, this is, you know, rescue eight or a figure eight. Uh, this is how it works. We're going to do a 30 foot rappel out of the helicopter. And if that goes fine, we're going to do a 100 foot rappel. And so my first time. Repelling off anything was out of the helicopter at 30 feet and then out of the helicopter at hundred feet. And then we would also fast rope. which. So truth be told, uh, like we we change, we train to jump out of the helicopter with our scuba gear. Um, and that's that's something we've done operationally a, a number of times. And it makes sense. Operation is that as well.
0: What's that? I think New York, uh, the NYPD, do that as yeah. well. Yeah, There's um, and like the guys over in uh, the the Navy in the UK, the U, the Royal Navy, they jump out with full scuba kit, tanks and everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, it's it's it's, yeah. uh, it, it's a it's great a great tool. But yeah. So yeah, back back to back to the fast road so. thing. And then no, and then we would we would learn how to to fast row. Um. Operationally uh the special enforcement bureau has fast ropes i uh, me count it's, it's zero time <laughs> um okay I, i'm i'm not saying it it's you know not good for the SWAT guys to to know but i i think it's a little more of a a throwback to the the military thing, when they're working in environments where that might be the best tool, yeah. for us, 99% of the time, when we're getting guys somewhere, we're just able to land. Again, we're, we're not the military. Yeah. Um, and, and quite frankly, as, as a crew chief, watching a SWAT school of guys' fast rope is just about terrifying um, <laughs> to me personally. You know, because, I mean, you you do all these things to to mitigate uh, hazards, and then you're sending some guy down a rope, you know, 15, 20 feet from the deck, and if he lets go, he he lets go. Uh, so, yeah, as a crew chief, uh, not a fan. Um, I mean, we've – so it's interesting. With, with the old helicopter and the old hoist, our guys used to repel into calls in the mountains and then they would use the hoist to get themselves and patients out because Mm -hmm. the hoists would have issues. They would overheat. Um, but with the hoist that we have and the one that I've been using since I've been, you know, on the Puma since 2012 money never failed so fast up and down. So safe. Um, We've actually sent squat guys down on calls. They were chasing arsonists kind of in the mountains and used the hoist to put them down. Um, nice. So yeah, that's that's where I am with the fast roping and the, the fast roping stories. <laughs> so you train it, but have never used it?
0: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. All right. That answers that
1: question. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, Bryce. Yeah, no problem. Oh, no my gosh. I, some people are probably going to be angry uh with that one but it's no it's just it's just the reality we're seeing um, facts here bryce we're not yeah this is not an opinion this is yeah. no, you 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 trade trade it? It 100 100 100%, 100%. all right <laughs> yeah. oh that's hilarious i love it but uh yeah so i mean for me the the paramedic thing has been um such a gift i was when i was on the swat side so Oddly enough, there was a, a TV show in 79 and 80, and it was called 240 Robert. I remember being 10 or 11 and watching with my dad, um, and it was about ESD. It was by the same guy that did Chips and and I don't know what else. And uh, it was Mark Harmon, uh, Joanna Cassidy. Uh, these are all people with no one listening is probably gonna know who they are unless they're (laughs) a handful of us just a handful of us and and that's even just a little old school for me (laughs) yeah oh yeah no 100 percent. yeah because like i said i was i was 10 and and then when i got on the sheriff's department i knew that we had like a search and rescue big helicopter i knew the esd was a thing and i thought that was interesting and then one of my first days working SWAT i'm at the SWAT headquarters and they have their desk where the guy sits there 24/7 on the radio and i hear him saying something about 240 robert and i was like 240 robert well and that's when it clicked in my mind that that tv show was actually about ESD because that's ESD's call sign and i didn't know that until that moment and then to come full circle and actually be you know a 240 robert Deputy um, has been an inter- interesting experience for me, and I mean, I love when I was on the swan side. I loved what I did. I wasn't burnt out when I when I went to paramedic school. I was just ready for a little bit of a change. I put myself through a three week EMT, and I loved it. And and truth be told, I the thought of paramedic school terrified me, um, just because I was older. You know, the years since i had been out of college the we had never had a deputy student in the la county paramedic school fail and we we put our guys i want to say it was 1972 i think the guys were like class number three this is when paramedics were even the thing across the country but they were just in a few places and la was one of the places they started um no one had ever failed paramedic school so in those 40 years or whatever and so the the specter of possibly being that first person to fail paramedic school uh, unthinkable i mean unthinkable i mean it is not going to be me it is not going to be me yeah no it it was that that was that was terrifying and um that that really made me nervous to go to the esd side and then i had this one experience there was a a guy that I knew as a scout, um, his name was Larry Swanson. He he went to the paramedic side probably in 2001, right before I got to the SWAT side. So from working patrol, I knew him as a scout of the black team because the, the SWAT side is broken up in six teams, all by colors. I was the blue team. And then, so he's on the paramedic side. And I mean, I really really had tremendous respect for him he was just a giant um which is funny because he's kind of a little guy but he was just a giant on the swat side um and i ended up on a call with him he was a paramedic it was a daytime warrant service and um there were runners out of the location so some flashbangs were thrown into that yard (laughs) excuse me to you know get him down on the ground and I was in a containment position with him in a yard next door. And there was this old guy in his 80s who was just minding his own gosh dang business, sitting in his garage. And all of a sudden, you know, these spot guys come in and explosions are going off next door. And um, he looked a little rattled and not too healthy. And I, I just happened to be standing there when when Larry was talking to him and Larry had his, his full pack with him. And he starts talking to the guy about his medical issues. He ended up taking his blood pressure. And, and I'm listening to him, understanding everything this man is saying, like knowing the medications that he's taking for his diabetes and his heart, heart his, his high blood pressure, hypertension. And, and it was like, it was such a eye-opening moment for me because here's this guy who I knew is this you know badass team leader and then he was just like this amazing, compassionate medic, and just treating this guy so well, and like and knowing what he was talking about. Um, and that was, I think, that was probably a couple, three years before I went to the paramedic side. And but that was one of the things that really thought, hey, this might be, you know, something pretty cool to do. Um, yeah, and, and I actually had the opportunity, uh, Larry, he retired, like, right when I got to the paramedic side, and I got to see him the day that he turned his badge in, he, he popped by to the Special Enforcement Bureau, and I got to see him, and I got to kind of relay that story to him, and now, ironically, uh, his kid, Larry Jr., is on the SWAT side, one of our, one of our divers on the SWAT side, and um, so yeah, now I work with the guy's son too, which that'll make you feel. Old. Uh,
0: that is super cool though. I got yeah.
1: <laughs> man, right on, right yeah. on. So no, I just I, I enjoyed the paramedic thing, um, the feeling of being out and about in my personal life and 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 using those skills that I've learned. Um, I know I shared with you that that little clip of the a man in quiet that fell off the, the trail
0: yeah so you know what yeah. let's let's chat about that because this was pretty okay. neat there was a like a, a full-on uh a news clip of it which is like two and a half three minutes
1: you're on right. vacation What? well it, it was funny because he we were uh on hawaii it's a trail that goes along an area called the pili coast um i think it's about a four mile <clears throat> excuse me, trail to this this one beach. It's very popular. A uh, little rugged. It's always slippery. It's narrow. A little bit of exposure, um, but it's it's you know not a big deal. But I'm I'm hiking with my wife, and all of a sudden we see up ahead there's this commotion. And I'd been a paramedic at this time for you know a few years. In my pack, you know I'm not I'm not overboard, but I I carry some little medical stuff in my pack and we get up here and we look and there was a guy over the side hanging on a tree and it was kind of one of those slopes where you know it goes like this and then it goes like that and a group of people had stopped to help and we kind of got organized made sort of a, a human chain and we got him up on the trail and then the funny thing was all these people were helping and then you have this guy who's injured ends up on the trail and Everyone scattered like cockroaches in the kitchen when you turn the lights on. Like they were just gone. They just went about their life. Um, So I I sat him down and just did a full assessment on him. Great guy, big man, you know, like 6'3, 220, just just a big man. Something was really wrong with his leg. I didn't know what it was, Um, but I just kept him dry. I ended up wrapping his leg with an ace bandage. He couldn't put any weight on it. So him getting the four miles to the trailhead, that would have been an impossibility without like five or six dudes. And that would have you know taken all day. So I did grab a couple kids and I told them to go to the lifeguard who was at the trailhead and call it in. And, and I stayed with him. Uh, my wife and I stayed with him for probably a couple hours. Um, Vietnam vet, he was a, a cameraman up in San Francisco. And I'm just, just the nicest man. Um, And and sure as heck, there's, after a couple hours, there's this little, little 500, you know, the little, what I know is a Magnum PI And MD-500. Little little, little tiny thing. Comes up. Tiny, tiny little helicopter. Love it. does, Does a couple orbits, lands at a helipad, which I guess was like a quarter mile away. And then um, the next thing I know it it comes up and, and the pilot's hanging out like he's backing up a trailer on a boat ramp. And there's a, a medic long line and he drops a medic right on top of us. Medic unhooks, goes off. And um, it was pretty cool. Like I got to give the medic, you know, a, a full report. And, you know, he kind of gave me that, you know, odd look of who are you? And I told him, you know, I'm a paramedic in LA County. And then uh, he pulls out a, a screamer suit. And so I'm I'm the gentleman, I'm explaining to the gentleman, I'm like, hey, this nicknamed the screamer suit. And I, I helped him get it on the patient. Um, helicopter comes back, they get hooked up. And, and this man being this man and being a cameraman for his whole life, he had his GoPro. Truth be told, I think that's probably why he fell off the trail because he was probably filming and went off the trail but he he filmed himself getting pulled out you know on the long line um we ended up taking his car back to his hotel for him and (laughs) he actually had a his quadricep tendon was completely blown so he, he basically lost use of his right leg um and that's why he couldn't but he got repaired and then he did his own news story and um that he did up in san francisco and he was kind enough to throw it on a, a dvd and uh and he, he sent it to me that's super so, cool i'm actually pretty- so I, I, i'm gonna
0: post it so everybody can see it but oh, it's, cool. it's a great great little video so it'll be on youtube
1: or instagram and, or both i don't know you'll find it. it it's it's really funny because in those in those pictures my unbeknownst to me my wife was was taking all the pictures and i'm wearing an orange t-shirt With this emblem on the back of it and it's actually the logo of the old 1979 240 robert tv show and of course i i sent that picture to my captain and i said hey i'm gonna put in for overtime because i you know did this rescue in Kauai, (laughs) whatever and i i would share some of my some of the rescue stuff you know i I would redact patient faces and all that but i would share stuff like that on facebook because quite frankly my life if if you're not into mountain biking i'm not a very interesting person but i always thought the helicopter stuff was really cool to share people appreciated seeing you. um so i put it on facebook and i don't know how many months later i get a call from a good friend of mine on the department and he goes hey i'm, I'm sitting here with mark Harmon, and uh i showed him that facebook post and he he wants your address and mark Harmon ended up uh writing a nice little note and saying that I needed some you know updated clothing and I think he was doing the TV show NCIS at time and he sent me one of the one of the crew t-shirts.
0: What uh, and
1: that, was, that was pretty funny, yeah, yeah. It's one of those one of those full circle things, you know. Oh, that's you know. super cool. Well well played there,
0: Mr. Mark Harmon. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bryce, that's amazing. Dude, off-duty, on vacation in Hawaii, end up helping with the rescue.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then oh, there was wow. also a woman choking at a restaurant on the same trip. It, like, I, I oh, my go God, care. Bryce. Just, what? Yeah, no, it's just
0: uh, – Wait, like no, keep
1: going. What happened? No, the, the, the uh, 80-something-year-old woman choking – um by the time i got to her they had they had heimliched her, and and then they were just going to go about their day and i, I told them i go hey uh, based on her age you know she might have aspirated a little bit of food should really really get her checked out so they did and uh Kauai fd came and, and picked her up and another situation where i gave a full report and i wasn't even the one to heimlichter um sounds terrible um but, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how oh many times gosh. mountain biking, um, just how many times that the paramedicine has been such a great tool to have, you know. Um, yeah, it, It's a really good feeling to look at someone and thinking maybe I can help as opposed to that feeling of, you know, I, I don't know what to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, i I. I am super happy that I I went through my paramedic stuff. And yeah, I mean, I am as rusty as rusty can be. I have no problem admitting it. I would have to get back into the books. But uh go through that training. Yeah, I will not lapse. I will tell you that. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, yeah, and, and I will and continue for as, that cert. as as law enforcement paramedics, um, we're so lucky that we have air five because we do get so many patients and we have so many traumas. You know, without that, I think it would be a real I think it's a real challenge to be a, a tactical medic, you know, attached to a SWAT team without getting your your hands on on patients. Cause I know if I would even take, you know, a couple weeks off for a vacation, you'd come back and you'd, you know, feel a little rusty. I yeah, I I totally get it. Yeah. But um yeah. But yeah, Bryce, it's been amazing. Yeah, God, they're just they're they're, they're yeah. coming back to me, man. This is this is interesting. Well, it seems to be that time because we've hit our
0: bingo. We'll be relaunching for part two of this episode after we refuel. We'll see you soon. Go. Now it's time for me to pull chocks and take off. But before I go, I'm always looking for the memorable rescues that people have done. If you have one that you're willing to share, or know somebody who has a story, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to highlight it here at The Real Rescue. For everybody that is standing by for that SAR alarm, remember, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. So until next time, fly safe and swim hard. Thank you for joining me today here at The Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. We'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors for this episode, Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at Breeze-Eastern.com Hey, rule number two, cardio. It doesn't cost anything to go for a hike, a run. Bang out some push-ups, some sit-ups, flutter kicks, burpees, or any other calisthenics that you can think of. Fact of the matter is, it's time to get after it. And if you're making some sort of an excuse as to why you can't, fall back to rule number one. Don't be effing lazy.